Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk Talks. Uh, this is episode eight, I believe, and we have a very uh, exciting episode planned for you. I'm Andrew Kistner, your host, the Director of Marketing for the Oxford Center. And today we have Gianna Powell. And if you go back to episode three and listen to uh, Tammy's story on how all of this began, uh, Gianna is, is the person in that story that Tammy's talking about. This is the, the daughter of our CEO, Tammy Peterson. And uh, I love talking to Gianna about this story um, and trying to, she doesn't know a whole lot about that event um, because of the circumstances, but she, she has, you know, uh, some to recant uh, to us. We're going to get in also to a little bit of uh, neurofeedback, which is the department that she leads and, and runs and really took off here at the Oxford Center, which is an incredible effective therapy that, that we utilize. So we'll get right into it. Thank you for coming, Gianna. It's a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure. As always. <laughs> Um, so the first question I have, and I know that I've asked you this before, um, is what do you remember? Your mom tells this just awesome story on how God used this in your life. Um, but during that time, you know, you being the patient, you being the one that's directly involved, what do you remember of all those events? Mm -hmm. So I guess from the beginning, like when I uh, got sick, I do remember uh, that morning when I was with my grandpa and he was taking care of me because my mom was at work and uh, I guess I don't really remember uh, the severity of my like not being able to walk straight or um, not be able to feed myself that morning but I do remember getting in the car with him and going to the hospital and by the time I got there I could not get out of the car I, I couldn't walk uh, and so they did bring out a wheelchair and I remember going into uh, the hospital and they were trying to get me to stand up to weigh myself because that's like yeah. the intake process right. and I couldn't stand and like they were just trying to hold me up to do this and I guess uh, nobody really understood the severity of the situation at that point uh, and then I remember my mom coming in at that point she just ran to the hospital uh, she was at it was like the last day of school at work uh, so she was a teacher and so uh, they had me laying down on a table, I guess, at that point. So they're like, well, what do we do with her? You know? Right. We don't even know what's wrong. <laughs> we don't know what's wrong. And uh, I remember it's gross, but throwing up green everywhere and then black. Nothing. Nothing. I remember nothing after that for a while. Wow. And what were what's your first memory kind of coming out of that whole situation? So uh, there were a lot of people that would come visit me and bring me stuffed animals. And there's a few times where I remember just... Uh, seeing like somebody and uh, my bed was covered with all these stuffed animals that people had brought me. I love it. Uh, I do remember like waking up a few times. Uh, I mean, I did have night terrors and I, I remember one instance of that, just like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a vague memory. Um, I remember uh, going down to the end of the hall, there was a, a, a saltwater aquarium and I would love going there. And I, I remember my friend would come and sit in my big wheelchair at that point. Uh, and we would go wheel down and look at the, <laughs> the aquarium. Is that why we have so many fish tanks around here? Probably. <laughs> I've always love loved it. them. Yeah, I love it. Um, so that's kind of your, your memory coming out of it, which makes sense. I mean, if, if you went from being, what, what age were you, 11? Nine. I was 10. 10? Well, yeah, I turned 10 during, while well, I was sick. So you're nine years old, going from nine to, what, a year year mm -hmm. old cognitively, those memories have to be very confusing in your head to, to process. Um, and it's just, it, I stand in awe, you know, uh, of hearing the story every time I hear it. I just can't believe how 
God's grace and provision and everything worked out. Uh, we're going to come back to that a little bit. So, um, so you now lead. Uh, well, first, how did you get involved? Obviously, your your mother owned the Oxford Center, but how did you get involved? What were the beginning stages of that? So, I uh, when. I uh, was a child. I remember the old clinic was in South Lyon and our house was right behind it. So I would walk to the clinic and I would just hang out there uh, during the day, during the summers when I wasn't in school. Uh, so I really did enjoy being in that environment. Um, we would, uh, I would watch the kids, you know, I would babysit them, um, like the kids with autism. And so I've always had a passion for helping those kiddos. And uh, so I guess when I went off to school, I wanted to study uh, psychology. So I wanted to like study the brain. And then I took a little break from that and then studied uh, culinary. Uh, so I wanted to really attach uh, culinary and nutrition and how it affects uh, the brain. Right. And then I went back to school and finished that psych degree to come here. And that's how I started working with uh, in the ABA program. So I was a group instruction coordinator. So I worked with the kids on doing group activities to get them in that natural environment that would, they would be in in school. So we'd do gym, art, and music. And I would also, um, we started a program for them to work on uh, food toleration. So work on cooking gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, organic, healthy meals that look like things that they would really like and uh, work on tolerating that. Um, so, and then I guess I worked my way into the uh, neurofeedback. Yes, Jenna wears a lot of hats here. Um, in fact, if you come to uh, the Village Coffee House, um, Colossian Street 23 Coffee House, which is open to the public here, if you come and grab coffee, there are baked goods, which will blow your mind. Um, and every once in a while I get samples, but I buy enough. It doesn't really even matter for the samples. Um, but I, it, it blows my mind at how you would never know that they're gluten-free. I'm a big fan of gluten, as you know, we've talked about. And I, I love the baked goods that you produce here. Um, they're absolutely amazing. Um, so that culinary arts degree, how do you feel that that impacted the knowledge that you have about food and autism? So I think having the background of the culinary degree, because you did learn a lot about the food science and the way that the body processes food, and uh, like what gluten is, how the body digests or doesn't, or GMOs or um, pesticides or different things that are added to the food. Uh, and then studying that information and seeing how sensitive a uh, child with autism or adult with autism, their body is right. to toxins and to uh, those um, things that are in the food that aren't necessarily easy for the average person to digest. And then take somebody who has a compromised gut and give them those foods, I was like, man, we really need to help get them to um, try different things, but also their sensory needs. Right. Uh, their difficulties, whether it, they only eat mushy things, only eat crunchy things, only eat circle or star things. Like Gracie. Whatever it is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every kid has a different need. And, uh, you know, having them have that healthy gut, but also trying to make the food fun right. and realistic for where they are uh, in, with their sensory needs is yeah. uh, was definitely something that I wanted to work on figuring out and something that we're still working right. on figuring out. You know, every kid is so different and we have uh, so many kids that we're trying to help and cater for, um, but it really helps to have the background on how to cook, right. how the food digests and how to modify it for them. That makes perfect sense. Um, when, 
when did you go down this rabbit hole? When did you realize the food that people are eating is a problem for a lot of people? When did you go down that rabbit hole? I know when I went down it. I'll tell you that. But when did you go down it? So I would say before I even went to culinary school, because that was my goal going into culinary school was to dive deep in that rabbit hole and experiment and see what I can do to learn those foods. And uh, my chefs actually did a really nice job at giving me the ingredients that I needed to make things gluten-free. And uh, they were really excited. They knew my, my passion right. about wanting to help the kids with autism and their food needs or just help get gluten-free out there. And it's not bad, you know, just right. help uh, get that allergy um, friendly foods and that taste good. Right. And so, uh, but I also, since a child, I always had stomach issues. And um, I don't know if having, like when I was sick, I I was tube fed or um, I had a, uh, Maybe. the yeah, tube fed, what is I that? I don't know, I have no Something. idea. Something, I don't know. I had, Just I a couldn't, guy. I couldn't eat. So they, they had, uh, I had to get fed through tube, whatever it was. Right. Uh, and then I was, I had, needs too. I would only eat mushy things. I'd learn how to eat like a baby, you know, right, like, right. and so, um, like I would only eat mashed potatoes and I asked for grampy mashed potatoes because those are the best. And so, so, um, I guess I had that journey as well. And uh, being as sick as I was, I'm sure that compromised my gut health and, um, that, so I guess learning about the yeah. process through that and going through it myself and, Food is huge, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I didn't realize how big of a deal it was or that there was a rabbit hole to go down until we actually came to the Oxford Center for the first, our first trip here, and we were talking to the people, um, and they said, well, we need to find out what Gracie's eating and how what her body's getting from that food and what it's not getting from that food. And so we're like, oh, okay, man, I love Dorito. I love junk food. I love candy. I love everything that's awful, but I didn't realize it was awful for me. Um, and somebody said, you need to watch the documentary, The Magic Pill. Have you watched that? Mm -mm. It will blow your mind. So it's, it's a case study doc documentary. Uh, and if for viewers, go watch it. It's on, we watched it on YouTube. Uh, it's several years old. Um, it's just a case study documentary. They, they're not pushing a diet. They're not pushing um, a supplement or a program or anything like that. It's, they go through like six different people, um, and they look at their diets, they have all of these people have medical conditions. One girl, I, if I remember correctly, it's been several years, had had autism or was autistic, um, and she was on all these high press medications. So there may have been some other complications. Um, one person I think was having uh, heart issues. They even went to like a tribe somewhere, and we're, we're just asking them, you know, why are your people dying? And you know, when when did they did they, are they dying earlier than what they used to? And they started, they found the root cause of all these things were what they're eating. And so they challenged all these people to go on um, a, a diet. Um, it wasn't necessarily a specific diet. If you had to attribute it to it, maybe like a keto or paleo or something like that, maybe a mix of both, I don't know. Um, but it was more so about cutting out sugar. That's the, the, the cutting out the sugar was the biggest thing. Um, and, and choosing holistic and, and good, healthy foods. Um, and every single one of them, it changed their life. And that, that's when the, the, the bell went off to us what we're eating is not good for us. Um, and it's definitely changed our life. It's changed Gracie's life, you know, tremendously. Um, so I like to hear how people kind of went down that rabbit hole and what they've discovered. And I like that that's our philosophy. 
here at the Oxford Center um, is we practice what we preach. I've been out to dinner with these people, and <laughs> I know uh, what they eat, and, and, um, and, and we definitely practice what we preach. So I don't eat Doritos anymore, even though I love them. That's good. There's some good alternatives. There you are. know, you there can are, still get Doritos some Doritos are good, but there's... <laughs> There's a reason they're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh, that reminds me. Actually, when I uh, was in seventh grade, that's when I did my first like food allergy testing. Okay. And uh, back when I did that, when you went to the, a restaurant and said I can't have gluten or I can't have this, they'd look at you like you're crazy. Right. Like they had no idea what that was. You'd go to the grocery store and look for gluten-free items, and you're like going through the shelves, looking everywhere, and you'd have one loaf of bread that would fall apart before you got home. Right, right. So <laughs> there really wasn't any good options. Like now, like Doritos, if you want healthy Doritos, you can find them. Right. It's not that hard. Yep. Like there's definitely some great alternatives out there, uh, and it's definitely changed. Like from the time I was in seventh grade to now, it's oh, just yeah. blossomed, the amount of um, just options available for people with it, allergies. and. It is so much easier today. Mm -hmm. It's easier than when we decided to, to make – or to have grace go, go gluten-free. It's easier in that three or four years. Um, it, restaurants, full restaurants, you know, are, are opening that are gluten-free. Um, the stores have really come around. Uh, it's You can find gluten-free just about anything. And then the recipes, like Emily's a baker just like you, and she's awesome baker. Um, but she now makes everything gluten-free, you know, for, for Gracie. So she doesn't get a lot of sweets at all, but when she does. Well, <laughs> I think people are really uh, coming to that correlation between their gut health and what they eat and their mental health right. as well. Uh, whether it's uh, certain conditions, like, I mean, epilepsy, there's definitely a correlation oh, between yeah. some things that you eat and number of seizures or the intensity or duration, uh, but also anxiety, depression, uh, just overall brain fog, memory. There's so many things that can be linked to that as well. And uh, a lot of times with neurofeedback, people will see Nicole or they will seek that nutritional counseling as well because things like neurofeedback, helping retrain the brain and get everything back to where it should be is going to be so much more efficient and more longevity if we can heal the body as a whole. Right. I, I, I always use the example, it's just like a car. Cars, when that motor is built and that everything is put together, it is designed to run on a specific fuel. Um, you know, I had cars that ran on high octane. I've had cars that run on just standard octane. Whether it's diesel, some some of these cars, they'll run on other stuff. You can put high octane fuel in your your what do you have? An Escape, your Ford Escape. It will run. It will be hot though. It will run hot. Uh, it'll uh, be more spunky. Um, but it's not running the way that the manufacturer made that car to run. God intended our bodies to take in food that would help and support our bodies. Uh, and when we put food in there that man has messed with and done things to, our bodies aren't going to run efficiently. And uh, that, that's our brain. That's, that's everything that, that we have. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I love that. So talk to me, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, about, so you run neurofeedback, which I think is an incredible therapy because um, I see the results. I get to do the testimonial videos and talk to the patients. And uh, first, tell me what it is, because it's not a real, we had never heard of it. Um, and, and I would say 49 out of 50 people that I talk to have never heard of neurofeedback therapy. So first, what is neurofeedback? Yeah, so neurofeedback is a method, a very non-invasive, uh, relaxing treatment option that works on regulating brain activity. So the first step 
when somebody comes in and wants to do the neural feedback is doing a QEEG. And so that's where we work on assessing. You get a brain map. So you get okay. to see where your frequencies are, your baseline, uh, where they're dysregulated, if they're overactive, underactive, that communication isn't working as it should, and what area of the brain and the frequency and how that could be leading to potential symptoms. Uh, for example, if somebody has uh, sensory difficulties, a lot of the kids with autism will come in and they uh, just can't tolerate being in a room with a lot of people. They can't tolerate the lights bright or in the gym, it's really loud or uh, even just their clothing. You know, they could have difficulties with certain textures or the tags or uh, whatever it is. We can look and see if the parietal lobe is out of balance and if it's overactive and that's making it really hard for them to process stimulus because they're right. uh, very sensitive to it. And the neurofeedback then would say, okay, parietal lobe, we're, we're overactive. We're working too hard. We don't need to do all that. And we'll say, okay, now let's work on relaxing that. Let's work on showing the brain, hey, like you don't need to be doing all this work. We can work just fine down here. Right. And so what happens is we put on the EEG cap, which tracks the entire brain activity. And we get to track that live time. So as this child or adult is sitting in the neurofeedback chair, attached to the cap, uh, we see the live brain activity and then we work on putting a boundary around it. So let's say brain activity is super high. So we're gonna like, we're gonna start up here, that's okay. But we're gonna work on lowering that activity. So when the brain activity is within the boundary, the screen on the movie they're watching is clear and it's bright and the audio is loud. And when the brain activity goes beyond that boundary, the screen gets dark and the audio gets quiet. And it's really just a way of showing the brain, hey, you're in that happy zone, we're doing good. Oh, you're going too far, come back. And over time, we can see on our end, we can, see, we can track it and see it getting closer and closer to that healthy regulation. But we can also see whoever's sitting in that chair, their symptoms start to reduce and they become just happier. And yeah, so in essence, it's, it's your brain wants to see a clear screen and hear clear audio. Uh, it's very abnormal for that to happen. So your brain, essentially, you're rewarding your brain with that, and your brain will, uh, how do you put it, figure out a way to make that screen clear and that audio clear. Um, I, I do remember I did a session with you. It was just, I think, to show somebody what it was. And it was frustrating to me. And I could know, I know that my brain was going, I hate this. I need this screen clear. I can't see the picture. I like the picture. Um, and then when I was able to, to focus and my, my brain figured it out after several minutes, oh, this is we, we just got to do this. We see a clear screen. We're, we're good. Um, people don't, I think, understand how amazing the brain is. Um, one example I give is uh, they did an experiment a long time ago. I don't know if I ever told you this. They put glasses on people that flipped the room. And so in other words, the ceiling was, was down and the floor was up. And these people walked around and within, I don't know, whatever amount of time, the brain figured out what it needed to do to flip the screen, to flip the, the room. And so these glasses were flipping the room. The brain goes, nope, that's not right. And the brain in, inside flipped that room the way that they need to see it. Um, and then when they took the glasses off, the room was flipped and the brain had to refigure out. The brain is amazing. Um, tool for this, uh, and and it can can be helped. So, um, what conditions do you most commonly treat with neurofeedback? 
So we can, I mean, pretty much I say anybody with a brain could really benefit yeah, right? from neurofeedback. You know, we all have something, uh, whether we have a condition or not. You know, we could all just be clearer, more efficient, better memory, uh, more energy, better sleep, whatever it is. Uh, that can definitely help. But I would say main conditions uh, that can help uh, autism, Parkinson's, stroke, uh, anxiety, depression, PTSD, dyslexia. Um, what about, um, I have one specifically to ask you about, because I went to a, a breakfast this morning for the Alzheimer's Association of Michigan. Do we, it's, is it part of our Alzheimer's protocol? Yes, so there are uh, people that have Alzheimer's that have come and done neurofeedback, and it was honestly a beautiful situation because I was sitting down with this husband and wife, and uh, the wife had part, or had uh, Alzheimer's. And at the beginning, it was hard for her to uh, follow a conversation. She was uh, kind of attending, but would come through with some random comment that just didn't really make sense with what we were talking about. Right. And after she did the neurofeedback, she was listening, making appropriate comments. It was like the life was back in her eyes. Oh, and it, it's really beautiful to see uh, how that loving husband was like, I got my wife back. Right. And uh, I mean, with anything that is progressive, it's it's not going to make it go away forever. Right. Uh, but just getting back that little bit of time or making that progression possibly a little slower, it's it's really amazing to see. Right. And I know it's huge in our, our Parkinson's protocol. Um, and um, we've had a lot of patients with Parkinson's just rave about it. Families rave about it, um, which is just awesome um, to, to be able to prolong that uh, disease and to make their situation better, their life better, you know, uh, right now. Um, obviously, one of my favorite patients is, is Calvin, which we made a YouTube video of. And he says, I, he listed a whole slew of things. He said, these may not be big deals to a lot of people. Like, I can use my left hand better. I can get in and out of the car better. I can get dressed better and faster. And like, he's, these aren't big deals to a lot of people, but it's a big, it's a big deal to me. Uh, so I, I, I absolutely just love that. All right, everyone, we're going to close this podcast out. Uh, thank you very much for watching. Uh, please be sure to hit the like button um, on our podcast. Subscribe. We have multiple platforms that you can subscribe to. So uh, we will see you again next week, and I uh, hope everyone has a great week.